Hello and welcome into the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and I'm actually getting this show out on the day it's supposed to be out, so progress. Anyway, what an insane weekend in the COD League. This has probably been their best weekend since moving online. I'd say the best weekend overall still goes to Atlanta because they had the crowd and that crowd was on fire the entire weekend. So best one still goes to Atlanta, but I think the quality of games in this one is actually just a tiny bit better. Overall, I think you had better teams in Atlanta, so that led to better games on paper. It's it's a toss-up between the two, I would say. This one's definitely the best online. And Atlanta was the best in person. The two of them, it's tough to compare because they're just so different. Now, if these matches happened in front of a crowd and the Florida crowd was ridiculously hot for them, I think this could have competed with Atlanta. But it didn't. And what a wild, wild series of events that this home series turned into. One, the team who hosted did not make it to Sunday. (laughs) Which, as far as I know, has previously... I think... No. That has never happened. Because Optic made it to Sunday. Atlanta obviously made it to Sunday because they won their own event. London made it to Sunday because they lost in the semis. Dallas made it to Sunday. Chicago made it to Sunday. Yeah, this is the first time the host at least won because LA was was both LA teams. But this is the first time a host did not make it to Sunday. Florida bombed out at this tournament. They didn't win a single map. Um, you, you guys okay? I called you a title contender last week. What happened? Now, look, I expected them to lose to Minnesota, but I also think Minnesota's a title contender. But New York? 3-0 to New York. And 3-0 to Minnesota, and they're done. They didn't win a single map at their own home series. Now, I think in a couple weeks, Seattle could have an equally poor performance, especially if New York plays in Seattle like they did this weekend. But that's, that's a, uh, that's a discussion for next week when this series actually, actually happens. I want to talk about this series we just had because, and it, it all started on Friday with the insanity because London and Optic went to five, which I certainly didn't expect. And of course, Florida getting absolutely dumpstered by Minnesota. I thought New York was a little bit better than Toronto, so that 3-1 scoreline was a bit of a surprise too. But then, Saturday happened. And everything was either 3-1 or 3-0 all day Saturday. And that first one... Atlanta versus London. How does that happen? Where it's very clear that London was trying to restart. They were they were TKing, and that's like, hey, we that's a signal to the refs. Hey, we need a restart. 
and they wouldn't give them a restart despite the fact that Scraps wasn't sitting at his setup. He wasn't there. He clearly couldn't play. So Atlanta just got basically a hundred points completely uncontested. And to anyone who has ever played hardpoint knows, if you spot the other team a hundred points in a game that you only need 250 to win, it was actually over a hundred points. If you spot the other team over a hundred points, when you need 250 to win, it is hard to come back and win that, especially against one of the best teams in the league. Now, do I think London would have won that series? No. I think Atlanta probably would have still won that series because they are just a better team than London and they were the only good team that performed to their level this weekend because, as previously mentioned, Minnesota and Florida kind of sucked. But, like... They need to figure this out with the refs because later in the day, I want to say it was Optic Paris, the host ended the match and they got a restart for a pretty similar reason. So why wouldn't they give the restart to London? Because it's not like Scraps was doing anything wrong. He was going to fill up his sponsor approved water bottle the only one players are allowed to show on stream. And he didn't realize the broadcast was starting that soon. He had to presumably go to the kitchen and fill his water bottle up. And he couldn't make it back in time because they started before he thought they were going to start. And the entire team told the refs that Scraps wasn't there and they weren't ready. And they still didn't care. Cod League, you need to figure this out. Because you've had a few problems like this now. With the disconnects, with the gorillas, and heck, the original screw-up. The gorillas forfeiting map map 2 to uh, Minnesota Rocker. Which, I'll admit, um, looking back, LA gorillas aren't that good. So... Rocker could have forced a reverse sweep anyway, maybe, but still like that. Think back to that match that turned that series around. If they didn't get map two thrown out, LAG would have gone up to O. Instead, they were tied and Minnesota just kind of Minnesota all over them and took the rest of the series. Now, this one, completely different situation. Atlanta was probably still going to win that series. They were probably going to win that map, too. But when something like that happens, you have to give them the restart. Even Atlanta wanted the restart, despite the fact that it went in their favor. And then, they got wrecked on Search and Destroy. <laughs> they got wrecked on Search and Destroy on map, too. They, they won the rest of the series, because they're really good at... At hard point and domination, specifically hard point, they're a, I mean, you can watch Atlanta phase play any series and they're really good on hard point. That is, 
that is one of their strengths. Like if you can take Hardpoint off Atlanta, you have a you've kind of put them on their back foot. Not just because it's map one, but because it's their their best game type, really. Because Simp just pops off in Hardpoint, set the kill record in Hardpoint, then broke his own record a day later, also on Hardpoint. So Atlanta did get the win, and oddly enough, the only team that really challenged them was the New York Subliners, who over the course of this weekend, 3-0'd both New York, both Minnesota, and Florida, but somehow lost to Toronto. And how the heck did Toronto make it to Sunday? How the heck was the Sunday lineup Toronto, OGLA, New York, Atlanta? How were Minnesota and Florida this unprepared? On the last show, I called them title contenders. What happened? They didn't make any roster changes. It's the same team. Minnesota won one map the entire weekend. Florida didn't win any. And they looked bad most of those performances. Like they weren't, they weren't, oh no, we're hanging tough and we just got unlucky. No, they got, they got pretty wrecked. Like hard point was hard point and search were close against New York. Domination was pretty close, but they still got three owed by New York. I don't care if you keep it close in that situation. If you're Minnesota. You got 3-0'd by one of the worst teams in the league. Was was adding Mac really all they needed? And same with OGLA. Was swapping out JCAP for Chino like the only thing they needed? That was what turned them around? I mean, OGLA's been improving steadily over the course of the season. Once they, you know, moved Dashy over to SMG, they made a couple other lineup changes. So they've made steady lineup changes, and so has New York. But the jump, when they just added Mac, seems a little weird, because OGLA was gradual. New York's been bad all season, and this lineup is finally the one that works and gets them to the semis, where they force Atlanta phase to five? And it wasn't fluky either. They they hung tough. And on the first search and destroy, they won pretty convincingly. And and only losing by 25 on domination on a map like Gunrunner? And heck, beating FaZe on hardpoint too. That's even more impressive. And the, the final map, map five, the Gunrunner SD, if you watched it, you could tell Atlanta Phase was playing like, okay, we're about to lose to New York. Let's maybe not do that. And they were playing out of their minds on Search and Destroy on that, on the last Search and Destroy on map five, which I think is fair because let's be real, if you're Atlanta and you're the top team in the standings and you want to now tie Dallas with two home series titles. You need to 
win. You need to beat New York. And you need to beat them convincingly, really. But given how New York played this weekend, I mean, props to them. I I gave them crap on the show on Friday. thought they wouldn't even make it to Sunday, let alone beat and sweep New York or Florida and Minnesota to make it to Sunday. And then force probably one of the two best teams in the league to five. And I mean, right now my title contender picture just changed because like, I know it's very reactionary to drop Minnesota down, but Minnesota has to drop down. Same with Florida. I mean, I still think those are your top five because even with these wins, New York might not make the playoffs. And this could have just been a bad weekend for both teams. It, I mean, it happens. I've seen plenty of games in both traditional sports and esports where a superior team gets wrecked by an inferior team when a perfect storm happens. Of you not playing your best and them playing just an absolutely perfect game. Like, the perfect example, when UMBC beat Virginia, that was... If they played that game a million times, UMBC would probably still only win one. Like, that is literally one in a million odds. Like, that was an absolute perfect storm of them of UMBC playing absolutely out of their minds... And Virginia's best player being injured and not playing an amazing game by their standards. This, I don't think, is the exact same. Because these are all still professional players. I don't think the skill gap is that wide between, you know, a team that could have won a national championship and a team that wasn't even favored in the in their conference tournament championship that they won to even get to that position. So I don't think the skill gap is that wide. I don't think you're looking at the same situation here where it's a historic once in 10 generations upset. I think this was a combination of New York finally improving and really bad luck on the parts of the Minnesota Rocker and Florida Mutineers. And like the same question goes for Toronto. How the heck if New York was playing this well, how did they beat New York and then beat Minnesota to also force optic LA to five? Like I know optic is not as good as phase, but Toronto should not be, on paper at least, should not be sending Optic LA to a fifth game. Like, at all. They are, as I've said many times on the show, they're the worst team in the league. And this does not change my opinion. I think Paris maybe dropped a little bit. So maybe the the skill gap near from the middle to the bottom is tightening a little bit. And from the upper middle to the middle middle. 
upper middle, I would consider Florida and Minnesota, they've dropped. And your top two right now are Atlanta and Dallas. I don't think anyone who pays any attention to the COD League at all can really dispute that. They're the only teams to win two events. And they've won both of those events pretty convincingly. And Atlanta still has that thing. Still has one thing over Chicago or Dallas, though. They won their own event. <laughs> Dallas did not. Dallas has went to Dallas has went to Florida, and that's the other thing. How did that was the last event they played at? How did they go from winning the Dallas championship to bombing out at their own and going zero for six? This was a weird weekend in COD League. This was a weird weekend. Like, you had everything in this one. Controversial ref decisions, upsets, blowouts. And let's not look past this. An actually really good final between Optic and FaZe because, I mean, look, it's it may have lost some of the lost luster because all of the heart and soul of Optic are gone. Scump, Formal, Nade Shot, Hector... All of those guys are gone on to other things. But those names, Optic versus Phase, still draw eyeballs. And it didn't disappoint. It was a really good final. And like peak Call of Duty. Like that is peak old school Call of Duty brought to life again in 2020 in a new form with them not only representing FaZe and Optic, but also representing Atlanta and Los Angeles. So it was it was overall a good weekend. I definitely can't say I expected a lot of this to happen. I mean, I expected Atlanta to win the whole thing, but I did not expect them to beat Optic and New York to do it. I expected them to beat Minnesota and Florida to get to this position, not Optic in New York, who, by the way, still have the worst logo maybe in all of esports. That logo is hideous. It's it's so bad. Whatever they were thinking, they did it wrong still. Because that logo sucks. And I don't think they're going to change it either. But... What do you guys think about the insanity that was COD League this weekend? And what can they do to make the refs better? Because clearly that's a problem. I I feel like we have a story about this basically every weekend that they play. It's like, oh, the refs screwed up again. So what do you guys think about that? And what what can they do to fix it? Let let me know on Twitter at RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. But that's what I've got for COD League. Up next... They're still chugging along. The Overwatch League. That's up next here on the mashup. Okay, so the Overwatch League is somehow still chugging along despite the many, many disasters it has faced in, you know, the past month or so with multiple pros just up and quitting in the middle of the season, mostly to go play Valorant, a game 
that is still at least two months away from its full release. And... Other guys just kind of being done with Overwatch. And an entire roster getting into a massive fight with their owners and completely blowing up the team because they refuse to keep playing for them. It's been a bad year for the Overwatch League. And that's without mentioning all the Corona stuff. Where they were supposed to have all these awesome events in home markets for everyone, and now that can't happen. So, it's just been a bad year across the board for the Overwatch League. Because, let's be honest here, if if games were still happening in front of fans, I think a few guys would have still made the jump to Valorant. I think Corey would have still made the jump. I think Sinatra might have at least considered sticking around in Overwatch a little longer. Because he even said in a fantastic interview with Jacob Wolf from ESPN Esports. Go check that out if you haven't. It's about 40-ish minutes long. And he gets into the fact that, yeah, playing in front of fans is what kept him in the Overwatch League. And as soon as the online switch happened, he's just like, yeah. I'm not really feeling this anymore. So take that what you will. I don't know how much longer he would have stuck around in Overwatch because I think burnout is still burnout, even if you're feeding off the crowd energy. It may not be as bad, but it's still, you know, it's still burnout. So it has just been disaster after disaster for the Overwatch League, but they're still playing games. And for the most part, went about as expected. I think Asia is starting to prove that they are kind of mediocre this year. They're just beating up on each other. Like Shanghai was initially looking like this insanely dominant team. They lost in five to Seoul. Chengdu was never that great. They got swept by London. Guangzhou beat New York. Like, these are... Until... Travel restrictions lessen just a little bit. And these Asian teams can play um, North American and European teams. We don't really know what any of their games mean. Because they're just beating up on each other. I mean, really, in, in North America, you, you kind of have the same problem because, I mean, there's more teams. There's, what, 13 as opposed to 7? But still, it's... It's this whole we're stuck thing, and we just kind of have to work with what we got. At least now, North American teams aren't restricted to they're half of the continent. (laughs) Like East coast teams are playing West coast teams and European teams are playing West coast teams. Well, Paris, because London's playing in the Asian region, but at least we're getting some competition variety and Philly isn't just playing Paris and Atlanta. 
every week. And Toronto isn't just playing Miami or Florida. They're they're kind of Miami, but Florida. But out of all the results this weekend, I think the biggest surprise is Paris Eternal beating Los Angeles Gladiators. I really thought Gladiators were kind of moving up the ranks and Paris was slipping, but maybe not. Maybe that's just a favorable matchup. Maybe it's the meta. I mean, the way Paris was playing was insane. They were playing super aggro. Like, that's a level of aggression I haven't seen in professional Overwatch really since season one. That was a very aggressive style they were playing. And a lot of the times in season three, what you've seen is still recovering from playing goats all the time. So it's just a matter of, you know, other teams being willing to go back to that aggressive style. And it worked for Paris. They were playing super aggressively. And it gave them the win against against the Gladiators. Now, the other team that's definitely interesting to me is Vancouver. These are about the results I expected. Because they were playing two not amazing teams. And they still got beat pretty bad. They took one map off of Justice. I expected them to maybe do a little bit better. But it I didn't necessarily expect them to win. I expected them to at least do something. And they really didn't at all. I mean, look, it's a brand new team. Sure, most of them have already played together. Most of them were playing together on second wind. But this is a different level of competition from contenders, especially with contenders on its deathbed. Like, jumping from contenders to Overwatch League is a big jump now that there is just no support for the contenders division at all. So, they're going to take some time. I think eventually they could be a decent team because the players they all signed have promise and maybe they can find some semblance of an identity so they can actually market themselves to Vancouver because, but I don't know how much that's going to work because they have clearly shown they don't know how to do that, which is insane. When you also own the Canucks, it's so easy. Just market them together. It's not really that hard. Like at all. It it really isn't. It really isn't that difficult to market two teams together. Like New York Excelsior did it a little bit. They had Saviolbi throw out the first pitch at a Mets game after season one was over. The Fusion and the Flyers are basically joined at the hip when it comes to marketing sometimes. And other teams have all found ways to market themselves. Vancouver, hopefully now that they have two Canadians, one of them very local, he's he's from British Columbia. Like, you have a hometowner in esports. 
You know how big a deal that is? Use it to your advantage, Vancouver, and maybe you'll get more fans for your team instead of just uh, hijacked runaway fans like you had for most of your existence. But it seems like the only team that's really unaffected by the departures they've had, because certain teams haven't had anybody leave, but the team that did and hasn't been affected is San Francisco. Like, they've been sure... They were playing for Sinatra, playing without Sinatra for a month before he officially announced his retirement. But you would think when a team loses the league MVP, they would take a drop. They haven't. They've been playing perfectly fine without him, which is good for them because that shows they built a really good team that they weren't totally predicated on their star player. I mean, look, they have other good players. They had Super. They like Super is one of the big ones. But still, like, it still hurt them a little bit to lose their best player. But clearly, they have bounced back better than Toronto. I mean, Washington got the win, but better than. Better than the Justice, because let's be real here. Without Corey and Stratus, they're going to be struggling for the rest of the season. Their two best players are just gone. Corey's off to the the greener pastures of Valorant, and who knows what Stratus is going to do. And according to the release I saw from the Justice, he's still part of the team. He's still... Technically under contract, I think it was pretty unclear, but if he wants to come back, if any of them want to come back, they all can. Like if Valorant doesn't work out, they can come back to Overwatch League and they'll get a hero's welcome. And everyone knows it. You're, you're not going to get the wrestler went off to Hollywood to do a movie and now they're coming back and I'm going to boo them reaction. Like they're going to get a hero's welcome when they, if, if anyone realizes that the Valorant may not work for them and they still have a stable income in overwatch, they could go back and they will be welcomed back with open arms. You are not going to get, you are not going to get a traitor go away reaction to, any of these guys who are jumping ship for Valorant coming back. You're just not. And I don't necessarily see that happening with the guys who have left so far. Like Sinatra has proven to be also really good at Valorant. Corey, I've seen him play Overwatch. I think those skills will translate. Stratus, probably the same thing. I haven't seen him play as much Valorant, but I think his skills will also translate. Kalex, probably the same thing. Like, the guys who have jumped ship from Overwatch so far, they will probably translate okay to Valorant. If that's their intention. I I haven't heard what Kalex and Stratus are up to. So it's kind of up in the air what they're going to do. But I can see... One, I could totally see Corey and Stratus reuniting 
on a Valorant team. Like, if Stratus wants to go pro in Valorant, sign him and Corey. Because they already have chemistry. They've already proven they can play very well together. So, yeah, I'm I'm throwing that one out there to all the orgs for free. I'm sure you've all already thought this. That if Stratus announced he intends to go pro in Valorant, sign the two of them together. <laughs> and you'll have a very good starting point for a Valorant team. But I like the idea of this, this May tournament the Overwatch League is doing. We're still in the middle of qualifiers, obviously. They have to wait a couple more weeks for the actual tournament itself. But I think it's it's been going pretty well. It's added a little bit of stakes to these matchups that really after the online switch kind of meant nothing because everything was just so up in the air and it was really hard to figure out who could actually play who. Clearly now they've made the connections, at least region by region, a little more stable. So you can actually play a variety of opponents. But I am still hopeful for the Overwatch League next year because I think people will be hungry to see these games in person. Especially the the areas who got robbed of games. Like, you know, basically anywhere in Asia. Anywhere in Europe. Because all the, all the Euro events got cancelled. Like, anywhere in Asia and anywhere in Europe, they're going to be flocking to to have games. I think Philly's going to draw a good crowd anyway. Washington drew a good crowd for all of their events. And I think they'll be able to do that again once they fix their fix their gaping holes on their team now that their two-star players are gone. But I am still hopeful for both Overwatch League and COD League next year because I think people are going to be hungry to see this stuff in person after missing out on it this year. And that's a good thing. They they just both need to survive until next year, which I think they both can. Blizzard obviously has more than enough money to pull that off, and these owners do too because these franchise spots are incredibly expensive. So we, this is very much a wait and see game. Hopefully the, uh, the finals can actually happen in front of some semblance of a crowd because that'd be nice. Wrap up the season of mostly online play with an actual crowd cheering on the eventual champions. And I think, uh, given the results of the past, couple really the entire season I think my pick for for champion is pretty clear they have done nothing to show me otherwise I mean they still represent Philadelphia so they could still break my heart into a million pieces at the very end but as of right now they're my pick to win the whole thing because on paper they're just clearly better than everyone else they haven't played the Asian teams but the Asian teams are just beating up each other, which means they're all not that good. So hopefully all 20 teams will be represented when we crown a champion at the end of the year. 
but that's still that's still a couple months away. I have hope. I do. I do have hope. But that's still a couple months away. So there's still a big question mark around that. But overall, it was a good weekend of Overwatch. You're getting good weekends of Overwatch, even with all the really bad news coming out of multiple teams. So hopefully they can capitalize on that going into next year when we can go to these things in person again. But we'll see. We'll definitely see. But that's what I've got for the Overwatch League. Up next, a couple interesting moves in League of Legends. One that I think we all kind of knew was coming. The other that kind of took us all by surprise. We'll get into that next here on the mashup. So, some roster changes and coaching staff changes in League of Legends. The roster change did not surprise me at all. I think... We all expected this to happen. It was just a question of where. Well, we now know the where. Kabe, formerly of TSM, the ADC, is leaving TSM for obvious reasons. You know, they just, you know, traded for Doublelift. And when Doublelift walks in your door and you're an ADC playing in North America, you just lost your starting spot. So he is headed back home to Europe. He is going to join Misfits, which I think is a pretty good choice because Misfits are a really good team. They have a legit shot at going to Worlds this year. And now and now I think they're oh, and now I think they're even better because they have him and I think he's an improvement at the ADC position. And, I mean, good for him. He saw the writing on the wall. He got out. And, I mean, it kind of sucks because I think he did want to run it back with TSM and try again. But that just wasn't in the cards. The best North American ADC ever wanted out. Let's be real. He wanted to go play for the same team his lady friend worked for. And sorry, dude, you may have played well this season, but you're gone. So he goes back home. He goes back home to Europe, joins up with Misfits, who at least are a good team. At least it ended up on a bottom feeder with like no shot at Worlds. He actually has a legit shot at Worlds and they improve because of him. And he also gets the same benefit the double I've got like his girlfriend doesn't work for misfits but she didn't move to the US with him she's she stayed in Europe so he moves closer to to home closer to his family and closer to her which in the same exact situation I would probably do the same thing I would want to come back home if if something like that happened so honestly good for him he got stuck in kind of a crappy situation completely beyond his control and made the best of it. He's going to Misfits. They'll probably do pretty well in Europe this year. I mean, they're not G2. They're not Fnatic, but they're still good. And sure, he's going to run into the Golden State Warriors of League of Legends twice in this twice a year every or four times a year every year. So that's not exactly fun. 
But hey, he's he's going back home, and I can't fault a guy for that. And like I said, at least he got a good team to go back to. The other change that doesn't necessarily affect two teams, it affects one team and the broadcast. Jet is leaving the analyst desk to coach Team Liquid. Now, I don't think that's a bad decision by any means. I think he's a very good coach. He would be a very good coach, and Team Liquid needed a change. They needed a lot of changes, and thankfully they made them both. And I think because of that, they will improve. I I 100% think they will improve in the spring split. I mean, they can't be much worse. They can't be much worse than 7-11 seven, seven and 11 with the talent they have on that team. Because, I mean, Broxa alone is good for four to five wins. Add into that, Broxa, you have Jensen, you have Impact. Those three alone with a team that is not racked by chemistry and visa issues, which I think in summer they won't be. Those three guys alone, not counting your bot lane at all, just your top lane, your jungle, and your mid lane. The three of them on a team with an average bot lane is probably good for at least five or six wins. Team Liquid will have better than an average bot lane. So Actually, I would say more than five or six. I'd say that's probably good for about eight or nine wins is those three on a team with an average LCS bot lane. Team Liquid will have better than an average LCS bot lane, so they should win at least 10 games. Which, in the spring split, was good for a three-way tie for second. Yeah, the incredible mediocrity of North American League of Legends in 2020 right there, where 17 won the thing, 10 was enough for a three-way tie for second. (laughs) Because, of course it was. But, yeah, I think that's good for... I think the three of them are good for at least 9 to 10 wins. And when you add in Tactical, who... I think with a full split of playing with these guys will turn out to be a very good ADC and core JJ, who has proven himself to be a very good support. That team of five should, and this is a should not will should finish top three. They should finish top three. Will they? I don't know. They could have a lot of the same problems they had in spring. But with a coaching change and a bot lane change, they should improve. And let's be real. They're not going to turn into CLG. Even if they're still not good, they're not finishing dead last. CLG are just that bad. And it's, I mean, let's be real. It's definitely a problem that they're not good. Like, at all. 
But at least they're the only team that is truly hot garbage. The other teams are in in spring. We're just within a couple games of each other. And I think some of them will improve. Some of them will drop off. I think probably the biggest improvement will be Team Liquid. Like, I think they're still going to win, like, anywhere between 9 to 12 games. I could see that happening because chemistry issues can wreck a team. As was proven by their truly atrocious performance in the spring split, especially in the first half of the spring split before Doublelift got his act together a little bit and Broxa actually joined the team. The chemistry issues were still there, but they the roster had improved to kind of account for it a little bit. But I think they will improve in the summer split. I think, let's be real, Cloud9 is still going to win the whole thing. Cloud9 is still going to be LCS Summer 2020 champion. Now, will they get the Triple Crown? No. Yeah, it, it's got to be the Triple Crown this year instead of the uh, instead of the Grand Slam because no MSI. Sad face. But Team Liquid should improve this year. Split. I mean, they like I said, they can't possibly be much worse. And they can't waste a complete career year from Jensen because I didn't see anything from him that makes me think he will drop off from what he was doing in the spring, in the summer. I just don't. I think he will be playing at that same level. And now that the team will probably not be broken apart by double lifts, terrible attitude that they should improve. They kind of need to, because one of the iconic North American orgs finishing second above only one of the worst performing teams in LCS history is not a good look. They need to improve. And if the mediocrity from spring continues into summer, then it shouldn't be that hard. It's just a matter of them actually putting together the talent they have and doing it. And hopefully Jat will be able to do that. I mean, I will miss him on the analyst desk because he's very good at it. And I still think at least the first couple weeks of the summer split will be played online from home. So I'm definitely going to miss seeing Jat's dog walking in the background of his shot when he's sitting on the desk or the even funnier moment of the dog sitting in his lap and him just petting him while he's trying to analyze a playoff game. I mean, let's be real. That was pretty great. That is peak work from home right there. I am I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss him on the desk because he's really good. But it's still a good move by Liquid to pick him up. When they're kind of clearing house and going for a completely different dynamic anyway. Because, sure, they only changed one position. But that entire team dynamic is going to change. Because the entire time he was there, Team Liquid was built around double lift. And that's the way it's been everywhere he's gone. Like TSM is going to play that way in summer. 
and Liquid are going to have to find a new identity, and I think their new identity is not building around Tactical, it's building around Jensen. Because he was by far the best player on Team Liquid in spring. He will probably be the best player on Team Liquid in summer. And they need to play around that because if they do, he will win them a whole lot of games. He will win them a lot of games if they let him. And I think with Jat in charge, they will. They're still not going to beat Cloud9. They're still not going to finish first. They're still not going to win the summer championship. But they will improve over the disaster that was their spring. So a month out, that is my first prediction for the LCS Summer Split 2020. That Team Liquid will be better than god-awful. I know, bold. But I think saying they can finish top three is is bold given their spring performance. So that's what I'm going to say. They can finish top three. I'm not saying they will, but they have the potential and the talent to finish top three. They just need to do it. And I think they will. But like I said, we're still a month away. So who knows? Other teams could make changes. I don't think, I don't think they will. I think a lot of guys are pretty happy with what they've got going on. I could see, I could maybe see hundred thieves making a change at mid lane or ADC, but that's like, I mean, they probably should, if we're being honest here, because those two kind of held them back. I could see CLG probably making a few changes because uh, they need to. They were really bad. But they're, they're still... that That's my two predictions for summer 2020. Counterlogic Gaming is still going to be really bad and Team Liquid will improve. Everyone else is kind of up in the air other than Cloud9 is going to win because everyone else outside of Cloud9... NCLG is just kind of mediocre. So in a month, we shall find out. But that's all I got for League of Legends. One last segment where there's been some traditional sports news, most of it good. We'll get into that and then wrap up the show here on the mashup. All right, final segment of the show. I'm going to wrap it up with what traditional sports news there is still out there, and some of it is promising. It's slightly less promising than it was earlier today, but some of it is promising. Baseball has a plan. Now, that plan involves only an 82-game season, a universal DH, which is kind of weird, and heavily regionally restricted games. But... Hey, one, an 82-game season sounds incredible. I don't want them to shorten it that much, but I do think they should still shorten the season a little bit. Maybe 120 going forward. Like, next year, do 120 and just keep it at that forever. But no fans, that's just a guarantee. They're not going to open the stadiums up, even if they can, which I don't think they're going to do that. I think they will, if they... If they get the okay to open stadiums up, they're going to open stadiums up. But as of right now, they're saying no fans. But at least there is a plan in place to play. But it involves another pay cut. 
And the players union doesn't want that because they are saying a pay scale based on revenue is a salary cap, plain and simple, which they are correct. (laughs) It is a salary cap. But I think it would just be a one-year thing because if anyone has listened to the show, I have made it very clear that I don't buy into the we need to wait until there's a vaccine camp. I'm definitely not part of that because it's incredibly stupid. But like I said, not getting to get that too much. I think it's a one-year thing, but I could understand their frustration with not wanting to have a salary cap. But at least someone came up with a plan and the owners all approved it. Good. We can move forward with this and negotiate, which they are planning on doing. They are planning on meeting between a meeting between the owners and the players to negotiate about this proposal. Because from the player's point of view, there are some problems with it. But at least it's something rather than just kicking the can down the road, which has been the only thing that has happened for the first like six weeks. <laughs> that was all it was. It was just kicking the can down the road. And there was some other news that I rather enjoyed. Duke may finally get in trouble because an attorney just sent a subpoena, or it wasn't a subpoena, it was just a request to admit to certain things, which are, according to... Uh, Dan Lust on Twitter, who is a sports lawyer. He's a great resource for this kind of stuff. He's been a great resource this entire time. Uh, Go follow him if you haven't, because he's a really good resource. So shout out to him for all of this. Uh, These kinds of requests are denied all the time, according to him. So he is not going to admit to any of this, even though we all know what happened. But... (laughs) If they can find the evidence to prove that it happened, Duke is going to get into some real trouble. (laughs) And I will just be sitting here laughing because I miss Maryland being in the ACC. I don't miss getting screwed by Duke. That is one part of the ACC I do not miss. I miss the rivalry with Duke. I don't miss getting screwed by Duke. Two very different things. Because the rivalry with Duke involved competitive games and occasionally beating them. Getting screwed by Duke is what happened a lot more often. But to see Duke get the hammer dropped on them and watch Coach K's holier-than-thou bullcrap get washed away by the feds. Not even the NCAA. The feds. Oh, it would be glorious because let's be honest. Everyone in college basketball cheats. I have no problem believing that. I have no problem accepting that because like I've said on the shows, this show before the NCAA's rules suck. So the rules that suck 
I don't have much of a pro- much of a problem with people breaking. I have a problem with people going too far. And that is giving anything to players, parents, or coaches. Which in the case of Zion Williamson, it was his mother and his stepfather. So, parents. I'm not okay with that because that is going above and beyond. I'm okay with, and I'm not okay with giving big stuff to players. But kicking them a little money here and there, I don't have a problem with that. Everyone does it. And anyone who says they don't do it is lying. Coach K. Not only does he not, not only does he lie about not doing it, he acts like he's better than everyone else because according to him, he doesn't, despite the fact that we all know he does. So him getting popped by the feds would be absolutely glorious. Like he went so far, he didn't even make the NCAA mad. He made the government mad, which, okay, I'm on board for this. That's funny. And we can all laugh at it when it happens, other than Duke fans. Duke fans are probably just going to complain. But everyone else, we can laugh because it's funny. Even other team, even fans of teams who have gotten caught before can laugh. Because, let's be real, UNC got away with it. And UNC was committing straight-up academic fraud. And they got away with it, basically. Duke can't get away with this. And I think Jeff Cable's going to get hit hard, too, which is a shame for Pitt, because they had nothing to do with this. But they hired the guy who was involved, so he's probably going to get popped. But he's part of the tree. He's still a dookie. The crazies made that clear during the season when Coach K had his freak out. Which, again, like that's part of the reason I really don't like him. And I never liked him, but I always respected him. Now that respect has been flushed down the toilet. So, I'm just going to laugh if they can prove all this stuff actually happened. I mean, everyone knows it happened. It's just a matter of proving it in court. Hopefully they can find the evidence to prove it because what's going to happen to Zion? Nothing. (laughs) Zion gets off totally fine. The NCAA can't do anything to him. He's already gone pro. But they can hit Duke. And if they hit Duke, I'm going to laugh. As will most college basketball fans. So hopefully, that's what happens. And I try to wrap up the show with the best news to go out on a high note. This is definitely the best news. The British government has given the Premier League the all-clear to return to play next month. Now, I don't talk about the Premier League too much on this show, just because... It's already kind of loaded with content as it is. It's very hard to fit the Premier League in. But I am a fan of the Premier League. I have had a team for the past seven years. Liverpool Football Club. And I really want this season to finish because this is supposed to be their first Premier League championship ever. They won't get to win it in front of the fans, but at least they will get to win it. And let's be real. 
that quarantined you'll never walk alone video is going to be epic. So you know what? Bring it on. Finish the season and give Liverpool their freaking trophy. But that's all I've got for the show today. I hope you all enjoyed. Hope you're all staying safe. The light at the end of the tunnel is becoming brighter. We are almost out of this. But I hope you enjoyed the show. Follow me on Twitter at RealPatterson50. Follow the show at Mashup underscore pod. Share the podcast around if you enjoyed. Give us a review. Subscribe. Do all that good podcast fan stuff. And if you want to take it a step further and support the show even more, you can support the show on Patreon and get the shout out here at the end of the show. Obviously, you don't have to, but I would very much appreciate it. But that is it for today. I think it was a pretty good show. I hope you all enjoyed, and I will talk to you on Friday. See you then. <laughs>